Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it is Friday morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever it happens to be when you're listening to us right now. When do you listen to us? I'd like to know that. I wonder what the status is. Like, do you, I, I would imagine most of our people are morning people. I would imagine that too. Because yeah. that's when it, that's when I would listen if I were a regular listener. <laughs> are you saying you're not? I mean, no, I don't regular. I, we could we produce it, so right. I do listen with some consistency to check in on it to yeah. see what it sounds like. So Same. it feels like, but not regularly. No, hope you don't take offense to that. No, I don't. I don't. But actually, take, I take it back. I listen because Kristen, my wife, is always listening to She's it every it morning. Yeah. So I hear it. I hear it, which is how I noticed the last time that our breathing sounded really heavy. Really like, oh. Yeah. Like, Some, what, what's wrong with our voice? Sometimes I'll walk in and my wife is listening to it, and I'll say the same words that I just said right afterwards, just to throw her off. Just to see like, if she's minute. paying attention. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you listen to your sermons after you're done, after you're done preaching them? I, I have in the past. I can't right now because, well, I, I guess I can for the men's Bible study because that's recorded. But for the student ministry, I don't record them. Just too much out effort. into the ether and then it's gone. You know, I have though, and I've yeah. watched them. That's painful. Yep. I, I just, I abhor that. Yep. It is an abomination. Yeah. I was watching one back recently where my hand was in my pocket. I was like, get your hand out of your pocket. It's like you're willing yourself to do what you like. It's yeah. like what are you doing? Stop yeah. that. You had one hand in your pocket. Was the other one's... Smoking a cigarette? Nope, that's Alanis Morissette. <laughs> you weren't doing that? No. And the occasional hand in the pocket is fine, but there were like five-minute stretches where I had my hand in my pocket. You, you must have cold hands. Yeah. That's probably what it I was. I don't know, man. These are the things that we think about, y'all, by the way. If, if you're wondering, like, what is the pastor thinking about when he's up there preaching? Some of, Sometimes it's these things. There are there are times when the the human mind is doing things that is, is it, it defies logic. You're up there preaching. You're preaching God's word. You care about it. You're passionate about what you're preaching. And then you're also thinking about other things at the same time, like what your body's doing and what side of the pulpit you're on. The and, amount of multitasking and, that goes on. Yeah. It's crazy. It should probably not be that, but we're trying hard to do, to do what we do well. And that's part of the, part of the calculus. We're yeah. thinking about it because we want to, we want to do it really, really well. Right. Right. And, and I guess we've got that luxury because I, I think about guys like Whitfield who were open air preaching and people were throwing dead animals at him while he was <laughs> preaching. Like I remember one lady threw a dead cat at George Whitfield while he was out preaching. Dude, that would be a win. If someone were to do that this Sunday at church, I think that would be the highlight of your ministry career thus far. Uh, it depends on why. A good heckler? Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing, man. You're preaching that right. right. <laughs> people throwing cats at you, you know you're doing something good. <laughs> you heard it here from first, folks. So if you want to bring a cat on Sunday, living or dead, I'll let you choose. Yeah. Throw it at Pastor PJ during one of his points. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be weird. Hey, we had an interesting experience this past week. We got to go down to uh, Salem Media uh, radio broadcasting station. Dude, you're listening you're listening to a big time pastor right here. This is not accurate. Pastor PJ is now a radio pastor. Well, for fifty second spots. Six of them though. Six. That's so, huge. I mean, that's man. almost six minutes of airtime. That's that's true. Yeah. No, uh the guy that is the ministry director there, he reached out to us and they want to get some uh some local churches on the air. So they're gonna put us on, which is awesome. He even promised that he would put our podcast on the radio at some point soon. We'll know if he listens now because he's going to get it back to us and be like, I did not. As far as I, it was a, it was a gentleman's handshake. It was a guarantee that I heard in my soul. He as did being, allude to it. 
well, he said someday. You he know, it was one of those be. like, you know, maybe we'll do this, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll do yeah, that. You know, we'll. his voice got really uh, high just like that. Yeah, one of those things. Yeah, as he like shuffled us out the door. No, but it was super cool. We got to be in this that radio studio, and uh, that was really cool. Yeah, we recorded. If you're wondering what was it, it wasn't sermons, but these things called pastors' perspective. So 100.7, the word is uh, the station that they are going to air on. And they're just these 50-second blurbs that are uh, me just talking about different things, different devotional thoughts. And uh, they're going to intro it with a reference to our church as well. And they've got about 120,000 people that listen in the Metroplex here. So that's kind of cool that we get our church out there. And we were gladly obliging to this. We'll take a percentage of those people to attend our church and be happy about that. Totally. So we'll see. I mean, that was pretty cool. We got to walk through. We got to see 94.9 KLTY. KLTY. I, I was listening to them the other day. I didn't realize that I was listening to them, but they're, they're cool. Yeah. I, I had, it was really fun, man. I it was, was stoked to be I was stoked to be there. Yeah. He even offered us their studio to do our podcast. He did, which... But... I, if they weren't so far. Yeah. It's in Irving. So it's like a 40-minute drive from our offices. Man. Yeah. It's a hike. It is. They should move. You know, if they, if they wouldn't mind... That would be helpful. We'll gladly accept it. If they're a Christian ministry, they would consider it. They would. They, if they love Jesus. <laughs> Anyways. Hey, uh, let's talk about our Old Testament reading. Let's do it. Ezekiel. We get to finish Ezekiel not today, but tomorrow. So. Okay. Well, don't get us excited now. Get us excited tomorrow. Ezekiel tomorrow. We get to finish Ezekiel tomorrow. All right. In uh, chapter 45, 46, we're still talking about the temple as we are for the rest, really, of the book and uh, the, the space around the temple. There's this, there's this interesting buffer there um, of, uh, of 500 by 500 cubits. Now, remember, we talked about in one of the last couple episodes the, the difference in, in measurements on a cubit. So we don't know exactly how, uh, how wide this was, but there is a buffer around the temple area. And uh, this is perhaps another reminder of the holiness of God and the uh, protection against the defilement of sin there but there's this this buffer around it and then we get into talking about this prince some more and remember do we know who the prince is no prince of egypt yeah no we don't uh, but this is the section that i alluded to when we first started talking about the prince if you jump over to verse uh 17 man 17 is a mouthful it's a long one um, it should be the prince's duty to furnish the burnt offerings the grain offering so he's providing these things and notice there, the other thing that he's providing, he shall provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonement on behalf of the house of Israel, uh, but not just for the, the house of Israel, but also for himself. So um, the, the priest, again, is not Jesus, or the, the prince, rather, is not Jesus as we see this. And so that's important for us to remember because sometimes we want to make this a royal figure. Oh, it must be Jesus because we're talking about the end times. This is not Jesus. This is an unidentified uh, figure. But they're, they're celebrating the Passover. What do you think about that, Pastor Rod? I think that makes sense to me. If it's the if this is the millennial kingdom temple, if it's literal, and I still think that it is, even if there are parts that are symbolic, that makes sense because then you're able to see, okay, Christ, our Passover lamb, I see the connection. I still struggle with the idea of uh, actual sacrifices happening in the millennial kingdom, even if they are in memoriam. I, I, I get the idea of Passover. So I see that as being meaningful. That makes sense to me, even though I still don't get the idea of animals dying. I yeah. mean, granted, I, I know that's what we're, you, you were led to animal lover. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I love animals. Well, I, I just, noticed your PETA shirt that you're wearing right well, now. Well, I mean, besides that, I do support them monthly. But beyond that, <laughs> I am not wearing a PETA shirt, just to be clear. I love the taste of animals. So as much as I do appreciate Everybody them, knows that. The Texas Twinkies are not made from like faux brisket. Not vegan brisket. Yeah. Well, okay. All that said, I, I just, so my struggle with this, even though I, believe this wholeheartedly is okay am i understanding the millennial kingdom temple the sacrifices um rightly because i struggle with the idea of animals dying even if it's a it's a matter of 
uh, honor for Christ, saying, hey, I'm, I'm killing this animal for Christ's sake to say, look, I'm commemorating your death. Um, I wrestle with that. I, I struggle with the idea of death taking place in memoriam unto Christ. I'm not sure how that fits. Yeah, well, remember, there's one overarching story of Scripture. There's one thread that begins at the beginning and courses through all of it, all the way to the end. And I think we're seeing some of that here. There's three feasts that are uh, memorialized here in the millennial kingdom. You have the the feast of Passover, then you have following that the feast of unleavened bread, which is the the the, the seven day uh, feast of of uh, that followed behind the Passover, and then you've got the feast of the tabernacles, uh, remembering Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. So all of this is is really hearkening back to and looking back to the deliverance of God's people from slavery, and now these are being celebrated in the millennial kingdom when there's a new meaning given to that with regards to the presence of Christ and their deliverance from their slavery, not to the Egyptians, but their slavery to sin. It's, it's something that we as Christians look back and we read through the Old Testament, we read about these feasts and we think to ourselves, okay, these feasts mean, they, they, they signify, they symbolize something bigger than, than what it did originally there, this, this meta-narrative portion of scripture. And so here I think these feasts are being observed again in the millennial kingdom now with the Jews looking at them through the same eyes that you and I have looked at them to say, okay, we get it, that this was a foreshadow, that this was always meant to, to be about our ultimate deliverance, our ultimate celebration of God's faithfulness through the person of Jesus. And they're doing that now in the millennial kingdom. And that's why they're observing the feast still. Well, I suppose that one of the most comforting aspects of this is that we do approach this with the dispensational mindset. We look yes. at this as being a season, a, a, a chapter where God interacts differently with his people. And granted, um, Israel is not the church. Uh, we are not Israel. God treats Israel differently. And all the promises made to Israel are now being, have been fulfilled in Christ and will be fulfilled as Ezekiel's temple is erected and put into commission. So I, I take some comfort in that. Perhaps my, my inhibitions are in the fact that I'm looking at this from the church age, from what we're looking at today. But the millennial kingdom is going to be different. And there's going to be differences that I won't be able to explain right now from this end or this side of the tapestry, as it were. Yeah. Chapter 46 then gets into the, the uh, really, I think the idea here is, is the restoration of ideal leadership within the people of Israel. You've got the prince again as the administrator there. Um, Christ is reigning. Christ is the authority figure, but he, the prince is, is helping to uh, execute the duties, organize things, and he's really bringing uh, the 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 fullness, the fruition to the idealized system that should have been that wasn't in the Old Testament because of the corruption of the rebellion of the people. And I think you get a, a picture of that in chapter 46. So you brought this up a couple days ago. Um, I think in middle of 46, verse 9 uh, and 10, they talk about people entering from the south and, and exiting through the north. Um, you talked about having uh, the ability to create a, a flow of traffic, which I think is true. But this is one of those areas where I think, okay, maybe there is sim- symbolism here. The fact that you approach God one way, but you exit a different way, uh, perhaps symbolizing that when you encounter God, it should change you. You're not going to walk away the same. In fact, you're going to walk away a different path because of your encounter with God, which is consistent, I think, with the, with the totality of Scripture. Worship does change you, especially when it's done rightly, if it's done in spirit and in truth, according to John chapter 4. And as we're told to today, that should create a different person walking away. So I think there's maybe some symbolism in this, even if we understand it in its entirety as being a literal temple, there are symbolic elements. Yeah, well, certainly also in Ezekiel there, think about how often we've heard from the north, from the north, from the north, from the north. And up until this point, 
everything that's, that that's been about has been about the judgment of God. And mm-hmm. here the people come to worship God from the north and right. they leave by the from south. From judgment. Right. Perhaps. Perhaps that there's there. To your point, maybe there's more to it than meets the eye initially. Well, let's flip over to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three. Uh, this is a this is an interesting chapter. There's there's a lot here about the end times, about what's happening. This is the chapter wherein we get the the, the uh, famous statement that that God is not uh, slow to fulfill His promises, but He's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Wow, does that mean that there's going to be a universal salvation? No. It sure seems like it. Nope. It doesn't. And, and, and I preached on this not long ago, and we've talked about it on the podcast too, but here's an example where we see that there are two truths that in our minds seem to be competing, but in God's economy are held in tension that are taught in the pages of scripture. And one is that that God uh, is a, a God of love and does desire that all should come to salvation and reach repentance. We just read that in Second Peter chapter uh, 3. But the other reality that we understand is that God is sovereign over that process. There are passages that are very clear. We're going to get to them in John's gospel shortly here. John 6, 44, no one can come to, the fa- come to me unless the Father draws him. There are, are very clear understandings where we see that God is sovereignly at work to save those that he's going to save. So does Jesus, is this true? Does God desire that all should come to repentance? Yes. Do all come to repentance? No. Is he sovereign over that? Yes. How do those things work? there are ways that we can begin to try to, to mesh those things together. But, but y'all, this, this is my point in this is we, we need to believe both things to be true. It's not either or. And when we get in trouble is when we try to make it either or. Yeah. And I, I suppose if you're looking at the text itself, look at what it says. The Lord is not slow, slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. So people are questioning, Hey, Jesus hasn't come back yet. He said he would be back. Where is he? He must not be coming back after all. And Peter's point here is to say, well, hold on a second. He's patient toward you. He, he's he's delaying on purpose. In other words, he hasn't come back yet because he's got a reason for not coming back. And what's that reason? Well, he doesn't wish that any should perish. Now, sense of wish there is an interesting choice of words because we don't use that word typically when we talk about God's desires. We talk about his will, um, his decreed will. In this case, what we're talking about is his will of desire, what God wants. It's an interesting way to think about God's will because we often assume, well, if God wills it, then it's going to happen. Well, that's true to a degree. Uh, in some sense, when God decrees his will to occur, it will occur. But there's also God's will of desire, things that he wants to have happen that will not take place, at least not immediately. And this is one of those things. He wishes that none should perish and that all should reach repentance. But it's also true that God has a competing desire, a larger wish, a greater desire to see his name glorified. And that's going to happen through the judgment of the wicked. So here, uh, Peter says, hey, notice that his delay is purposeful. That purpose is to see people saved. And there will be people saved as a consequence of this. In fact, that's what he says in verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. He delays in order to bring salvation to people. But ultimately, not everybody will be saved because God also decrees that. Yep. There's another way to look at this that you may have heard, and uh, it is uh, another view that I think is worth mentioning here. When it says that he's not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There are, there's a view that says we need to understand what he's talking to by any and all, that the any and all are those that are part of his elect. He's not wishing that any of those who are elect should reach, should fail to, to be saved, but that all of his elect should reach repentance. And since 
all have not yet gotten there of his elect. That's why he's being patient. In other words, that this is not universal in its scope. He's not saying any and all without distinction. He's saying any and all period with, with his, his elect. And, and that's a, a closed group there. He wants all of his elect to come to salvation. They haven't yet. So that's why he's being patient before the return of Christ. Who are the elect? And what does that mean? The elect, those that he predestined from before the foundations of the earth. The elect being those that he, uh, he chose, those whom he foreknew, those whom he uh, set apart for salvation before the, the, the dawn of time, before the foundation of the world, as Paul writes in Ephesians. Uh, this is a group that is, is chosen by God, that is sovereignty, sovereignly elected, and that's where we get the term, uh, by him for salvation. So this is the concept of God choosing people before they were ever born to be Christians. That seems to suggest that God has also chosen people before they were ever born not to be Christians. Is that the case? This gets into what we talked about in Romans 9, that there are vessels of mercy and vessels of wrath. Um, vessels of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory, vessels of wrath that Paul says he prepared as well for destruction. Uh, so in essence, yes, what causes a person to go to hell and not to heaven? Is it uh, a decision made by God in eternity past or is it our sin? Is this one of those yes answers? Yes. Okay. Right. I mean, it, it really is. Yes. And though that's uncomfortable for us to embrace the doctrine of election, which I believe is a biblical doctrine, does imply and does mean that God has chosen some for salvation, but not all. So what do we do with the not all? Well, did God further send them to hell than they were already going based on their own guilt and their own culpability? No, they're not going more to hell than they were previously. But God in his free choice, in his free decision, based on nothing that we had done, chose some that would escape the flames of hell by his grace and by his mercy. Again, not based on us being superior or having done something better than anyone else, but because of his perfect wisdom, which we can't fully understand. So God did not further send someone more to hell than they were already going. But in saving some, he chose at the same time not to save all. Why am I even praying for people then? If God only chooses who he chooses, he'll save anybody that he wants to. Why am I praying? Why am I reaching out to my neighbors? Because we don't know who those people are, number one. We don't have election radars, number one. Number two, uh, Paul makes it clear in that same, in, in, shortly after, talking about vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy in Romans 9, he talks in Romans 10 about how somebody is saved. And he says, how are they going to be saved? How are they going to call in the name of the Lord unless they hear about him? How are they going to hear about him unless someone preaches? So God employs you and me listening to, to this as his instruments to bring the message of salvation to those that are going to be saved. It's you, Nobody wakes up one day and has an epiphany to go, okay, I'm ready to be a Christian. I'm going to be saved now. Here it goes. We have to have an encounter with the gospel. We have to have an encounter with the truth. And because, back to point one, we don't know who's saved, it's on us to go to everyone around us and share the gospel with them and pray that God would open their eyes and, and see that they would respond in faith and repentance. Doctrine of election also guarantees that our efforts will be successful because there are those whom God has called and he's going to successfully call them to himself through right. the messengers that he's appointed. Right, right. Hard, hard things, church, hard things to wrestle with. But praise God, we don't have a, a radar for those that are saved and those that aren't, or those that will be saved and those that aren't. Um, we get the freedom to go and, and believe like a Calvinist, witness like an Arminian. Believe like God is fully sovereign over all of salvation because he is, but go and share the gospel like anyone could be saved. Because from our perspective, 
anyone could be saved. And I wouldn't give up either. Even nope. if you suspect someone who's a, a hard and fast critic or adversary of the Christian church, it just all you have to do is look at Paul. Yeah. Who was an adversary. Yep. Who God said, no, you're not going to be an adversary anymore. I'm going to make you one of my own sons. Yep. Yeah. One other thing to, of note here, if you look at verse 12, it says that in light of all these things, that, that the end is going to come eventually, what sort of people should we be? And then he says this in verse 12, we should be waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Speaking of evangelism, did you know that by sharing the gospel with people in your life, you are hastening the coming day of the Lord? Speeding it up. Right. Because why? Well, because eventually God is going to come back when the final believer, when the final member of the church age is saved. And once they're saved, then Christ will come back for his bride. So you are helping to hasten that moment by going out and sharing the gospel with the lost in your life. And so that's a good thing. We should want to be with Christ. We should want him to come back quickly. So a way that we can contribute to that, that we can never predict the day or know the hour, is we can go out and share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. Let's get to work. Yep, let's do it. All right, church, well, we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode. That's right. Bye. Bye. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.